shame and guilt when you're in Christ are actually a good thing. If you have been doing something that is displeasing to the Lord, number one, you're guilty. Number two, that shame that the Holy Spirit brings because godly people don't make a practice of sinning. And so what needed to happen was a true godly repentance. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. Today's conversation is going to be a little bit different than most of my past episodes because I'm going to talk about a very sensitive topic. Now, I tend to shy away from controversial subjects, and instead I try to find conversations that encourage and build us up. But today, I'm talking about the importance of sexual purity for men. This has been a topic I personally have struggled with most of my life, and like my guest today, I've wrestled with being a Jesus follower who has struggled with impure thoughts and sexual temptation. I thought about putting a disclaimer on this episode, but I really think that talking about healthy ways to deal with temptation men face is something that guys of all ages should hear. For example, my guest today was introduced to pornography at the age of six. My experience was not much different as I saw my first adult magazine as a grade schooler. Now, this conversation is not explicit in content, but I believe that the discussion about how we as Christian men should deal with lust, pornography, and sexual temptation needs to be discussed at an early age. It is my hope that this episode will spark conversations between dads and their sons, between guys of all ages, to help us get this deep, dark secret out into the open so that God can equip us to be pure. There is real value in walking together in the light and exposing the things that can separate us from a relationship with God. So, guys, please stick around and listen to this entire episode. Each week, you hear me talk about the work of Mercy, Inc. and their partners around the world. And each week, I also ask you to consider helping Mercy, Inc. by logging onto our website, christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy. But did you know that there is another way that you can help? When you become a patron of Christian Music Archive, you not only help support our work, but you also are supporting the work of Mercy, Inc. How is that possible, you ask? Well, the Christian Music Archive is a business for mission, which means any profits we make from this endeavor are given directly to Mercy. And the best way to help expand our work is by going to patreon.com slash ccmexchange. Your monthly patronage helps us pay the bills, but also the first 20% of every donation is paid directly to Mercy, Inc. So won't you consider become a patron today? Go to patreon.com slash ccmexchange and sign up. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash ccmexchange. And thanks for your ongoing support. Today's conversation is with Michael O'Brien. Michael was the lead singer of the group New Song for several years, and he also had a successful solo career spanning more than 25 years. But despite this powerful ministry and successful career, Michael had a secret that he kept hidden from his family and friends, and that secret started to ruin his life and was about to destroy his marriage. This is a story that we can all learn from, and I hope you will share this episode with men you know who might be struggling with sexual purity. But before we go there, let's hear from Michael O'Brien about his music career and about his walk with Jesus. Help me welcome to the podcast, Michael O'Brien. Thank you, brother. It's a a blessing to be here with you. As you probably know, Christian Music Archive is working on documenting the folks who have been responsible for making the soundtrack of our Christian faith, is what I call it. And uh, you're definitely one of those. You've had quite a bit of musical output in a number of different ways, 
let's get started kind of there, if you don't mind. How how did sure. you get started in the quote-unquote music biz? <laughs> well, I guess it was 1988 when I tried out for the Heritage Singers. I was living in Miami at the time. I had just quit my job as a bartender and playing in piano bars and had just really got it open my eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I knew it wasn't that. So um, I was a waiter in a restaurant and this group came through. I tried out. I made the group. About four months later, I married one of the girls that was in the group. Ah. And uh, we moved to California after that year with them. And I took a job as a music minister slash youth pastor slash young adult pastor. That's kind of what you did back then, yep. back in those days, I guess. But <laughs> I, I guess even now people are doing that. And I was just like, I was writing music and I wanted to do music full time, but I just didn't think where I was at was going to be the best place. So we moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 1991 Okay, and took about two years, almost to the, to the day that we had moved. Um, we said we'd give it two years. The Lord waited to the last minute and I signed a, <laughs> uh, like I was a writer. So a, a publishing contract with a called Metagreen music. Mm -hmm. And then a year later I signed with Benson records in 94. And, uh, and then when I was from 92 to 94, I was out with Allison Durham. I was out with the bash in the code. I was out with allies and then the final uh, thing I was doing was playing keyboards for Twyla Parrish. That's when I oh. got signed with Benson. So that was a good kickoff for me to be yeah. on the road like that and to kind of see how an artist lives her life. Mm. Um, and she had just won, you know, Female Artist of the Year. So I kind of was just seeing her humble heart. And Well, I was going to say, what an example of somebody to learn from, from Twyla. She, she was truly uh, just a great example. You're right. Um, and then released in 95 and I wish I could say I kind of followed in her footsteps, but I was very, <laughs> um, I was very self-driven mm. and I was, you know, we, all, all us artists, whether we want to admit it or not, we all have a little bit of an ego mm. and, uh, you know, we look at other artists and go, Hey, I'd like that. And, you know, just one thing after the other. And I thought I was building the cause of Christ, but I was really kind of building my own cause. And, uh, came, you know, crash and burn after a couple of years of realizing mm -hmm. you're in it for all the wrong reasons. And God did a work in my heart. I, on my second record was conviction and God really was beginning to, to deal with me. So that's kind of how I got started and a little bit into it before I hit the, the group new song. So was music part of growing up? I mean, did you take piano lessons as a kid? Did mom force you to play? No. no? My, my sister took the lessons. I just got on there and started pounding and driving people crazy you know um it was i just loved the piano and mm. that was something that i was drawn to and i drove my music teacher crazy in high school <laughs> and you know I, I didn't know the right fingering i just even now when people watch me play piano they're if they're you know somebody who knows how to play piano they're mm -hmm. a little shocked at my fingering <laughs> So, so you had several solo albums, and then you got hooked up with New Song. And for for those of you, uh, New Song, they do the big, huge festival every single year. They've been doing that for years and years and years. Yeah, the Winter Jam. How did you get? Yeah. How did you get uh, come to the attention of Eddie and the guys? Hmm. It was '95 when I had signed my record deal, and I was on the road. I was opening up for New Song that year, about oh. 70 dates, and then I opened up for Mark Lowry and a couple times for Stephen Curtis and Point of Grace. And so Eddie and I had written a couple of songs too mm. with Leonard Alstrom, who was the, those guys are the songwriters mm -hmm. for Christmas shoes. And, and that's kind of how we got introduced. And then, you know, four years later, 99, Rush Lee was leaving the group. Mm -hmm. And, uh, actually Eddie had asked me if I wanted to join the group in 95 and my manager said, no, I was a solo artist, you know, I can't do that. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was kind of like a transfer of power. Russ leaves. Mm. I kind of take his place. Russ was the, the guy who did the altar call and mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure I could do that. That was important. They knew I could sing, but could I do an altar call? Mm -hmm. So I did an altar call and we had like four or 500 kids come forward and mm -hmm. they were like, okay, this it seems like this is a good fit. Yeah. So that's kind of how that all happened. And you were then, you led that vocally and so forth for what, about seven years, right? 
seven years. So 2006. Yeah. yeah. So 99 to 2006. That's right. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, you know, one of the big things that's important to me is understanding people's spiritual journey. And sure. uh, I love hearing people's testimonies because for me, hearing other people's successes and failures helps yeah. me, helps encourage me. So was was Christian faith growing up for you, or was that a something that you found? Because you talked about working in bars. How did you find? Yeah. How did you come to a relationship with Jesus? Well, I th- I think uh, through some really close calls in my life when I was in Miami and I was drinking and doing drugs with my friends, and you know earlier on when I was in college, I was also kind of in that scene in Lafayette, Louisiana. At that time, mm. I was playing in piano bars and I was a bar manager of a couple of clubs and. Um, so when I moved to Miami to try to get clean, which, you know, sounds really stupid, right? <laughs> um, I was living with my sister, living a sexually immoral life and just thinking I could take from the world what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think you learned over time that you don't, you never take from the world what you want. Mm. Really, when you take from the world, it's taking a piece of you. And I didn't have much left after all that. Mm. And so I ran to church, Wayside Baptist Church on a Sunday night service right down from the road where I lived. Um, and I surrendered my heart to Christ. I didn't know exactly what was going to take place afterwards. Mm-hmm. I just knew I needed Christ. How did you know that? I mean, if you weren't, if that wasn't part of your daily routine. Well, because I had heard about him. I'd seen people who were friends of mine who were Christians. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I knew about who Christ was, but I, you know, we didn't go to church on a regular basis. My dad was an atheist mm-hmm. and my mom was spiritually open. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would just, you know, be open to a lot of different things. Uh, that's obviously changed even to this day, but I was just, I was on a trip of, Hey, I, I want to do what I want to do and, and live my life. And I think, you know, when you almost lose your life doing drugs, that can be a big wake up call. And I had friends who were Christians, like I said, mm-hmm. and I just thought I got to go, I got to go to church. I've mm-hmm. got to. I've got to surrender my life, my my entire being to to Christ. And like I said, I was really young in the Lord, and I still was immature. But God opened my eyes mm-hmm. to the gospel. It, you know, sometimes you think, well, hey, you, you hear these stories about how people hear the gospel in a dream, and you know, it it, that, mm-hmm. it didn't take somebody to go to them. But you know, obviously, we're supposed to go out and tell people about Christ, but. That didn't really happen mm-hmm. for me. It was just kind of a progression over time and and a realization that God op- that you know God had opened my eyes to this this truth, and so that's what I did. And you know, the next day I went back to the singles pastor and he asked me what I did, and I was a bartender and I was playing <laughs> in piano bars. And man, that guy just—I think he just didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> He's like, "Man, you got to quit." Yeah. And I thought I can't quit. That's how I make my living. And Shortly after that, I got fired oh, wow. for no good reason. And I figured, well, God must have fired me. You know, hmm. I was looking back now, not back then. Yeah. And then that's when the Heritage Singers came through, and that's when that whole thing kind of happened. Wow. Yeah. So so you got fired. That's a big change. What personal changes did a relationship with Jesus, What? how did you see that manifesting itself in your life? What kind of things did you know you yeah. made the right decision? <laughs> Several things. Uh, one was I got involved in a, uh, a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was called University Baptist Church. I got involved in the choir. I started hanging out with other Christians. Uh, number two, I, I, for weir- I mean, I used to cuss all the time. Uh, I stopped cussing. Hmm. Um, and I progressively stopped drinking, and, and I did get off of drugs. It was just kind of like a, no more, I'm done. Hmm. I, my friends needed to change. I had great friends who were drug dealers and and they were looking at me and going, dude, what's what's going on with you? Yeah. And I said, oh, man, my life has changed. And they didn't like it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. So you start hanging out with people, uh, you know, your old friends. If you think you can go save your friends, I'm not saying that that's, that's not a possibility, but you certainly don't want to start there. Yeah. You, know, you <laughs> want to get around people who know Christ and who are going to, you know, call you to something different than what you were living. Well, you know, anytime that I set up one of these interviews, I always give the guest an opportunity to say what you're passionate about and things that you want to talk about. And, you know, a lot of times it's things like, well, I've got a new record coming out or, you know, I just got this great new tour. The first two words (laughs) on your thing was men's purity. 
And yeah. I happen to know a little bit about your story, and I'm sure some of our listeners may as well. Um, mm. To me, and I will speak from my heart here, I struggle with the same things. Mm. And so I would love to dig in a little bit to that. Men's purity can be a big topic. Yeah. Would you be comfortable sharing a little bit about what that meant in your life and and kind of the journey you and Heidi went on? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was six years old, I had um, seen my first Playboy magazine. When I was 12, um, I was watching uh, hardcore pornography. Um, it was just a part of my life. It didn't really matter who brought it into the house. The bottom line was I was drawn to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can really mess up a 12 and 13-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't have anybody to talk about it. So as I got older in my teens and got into high school, I began to try to live some of those things out, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then college progressively just got worse and worse at this point. You know, I'm obviously I'm, I'm lost mm -hmm. and I'm just gratifying my sinful nature. Um, and so you think once you get married, you know, once you, <laughs> you surrender your heart to Christ, yep. you get married, everything's going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line was I never really dealt with uh, that sin mm -hmm. in my life. And uh, so I had a secret life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, most of my struggle in the very beginning of my marriage was most of the time in my head. It was just, uh, you know, fantasizing, dreaming. Um, I got involved in a men's group. Didn't even know that pornography existed on the Internet. Yeah, it was not even a thought of mine, so I never went there. I just was still struggling with my thought life, and if my wife got a Victoria's Secret magazine, just mm -hmm. you know, all the fantasy world. And then um, we had our fourth child. Heidi was raising these four kids on her own, pretty much. I'm gone 250 days out of a year. Yeah, uh, we're not doing good. I'm not the spiritual leader of my family. I'm not raising my kids up in Christ. We're telling them about Jesus, but that's about as far as it went. I'm out on the road. I'm like, man, this is amazing. I'm, you know, the winter jams, I'm singing in front of 20,000 people. And now there is this temptation. And when things aren't going good, I go into places I shouldn't be going, but it's all very secretive. Nobody knows. Ultimately, if, if they had found out, I should have been dismissed. I mean, if we really want to get down to the, the heart of it. Um, but I was real good at covering things up. But the problem with covering up sin is that it's still buried alive mm. inside of you mm, yeah. and it's it's springs death in your life and got to the point where i would lead an altar call at the winter jam and see a thousand kids come forward and then i'd run to the back of the bus to be by myself because of my shame and my guilt and let me just say this shame and guilt when you're in christ are actually a good thing <laughs> some people think well no, shame is not good guilt is if you have been doing something that is displeasing to the Lord, number one, you're guilty. Mm -hmm. Number two, that shame that, that the Holy Spirit brings because godly people don't make a practice of sinning, mm. that, there's that shame aspect. Mm -hmm. And so what needed to happen was a true godly repentance, uh, a turning away, a godly sorrow. Um, David says it best in Psalm 51 where he says, uh, a contrite heart. Right. Um, you know, contrition is one of those words that we don't really discuss because it's uh, it's an old word. You, know, you go to 1828 <laughs> and you have to go you got to go back and find out what that word means. And I would recommend anybody listen to do that. That talks also about how God, he says, God, I sinned against you and you alone. And here's the key. And this is the thing that I, I keep on telling men on a regular basis. Men are more fearful of getting caught by their wife, their kids, or their friends, then they're fearful of the eternal consequences of somebody who makes a practice of sexual morality. Talk about that. That's a huge statement. Well, it is. And, you know, I, I can say it with all my heart because that was me. I think until we hit, get that connection that we're sinning against a holy God and not just sinning against our wife or our kids or our family— the Bible says that the sexually immoral will not, and I stress the word not, mm -hmm. inherit the kingdom of God. We don't make a practice of sinning. That doesn't mean that we can't be exposed to it. 
mm-hmm. and we may even fall into temptation and 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 linger a little bit too too long on something. It's still sin. It still separates yeah, us yeah. from from God. Uh, but then there's that. What we need is that godly sorrow. That oh Lord, I've just sinned against you. Remember what Joseph did when the Potiphar's wife came on to him. Mm-hmm. He said, "How could I do such a thing to God?" That was his first go to. Was how could I how could I sin against God? And then we also have the the example of Job, where he he basically says, "I, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on a, a young maiden with lust." Mm-hmm. These are proactive things that men must, if you're going to identify yourself as a Christian, we must repent and we can live godly, holy lives. Not perfect, Mm -hmm. but we can make better choices. Remember what the Bible says, Matthew chapter five, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Yeah, And I'll tell you, man, this is a real, real issue. And Mm -hmm. I've had men come up to me. I've had friends who are artists saying, Michael, I I'm addicted. They use that word addicted to pornography. And I'm like, oh, you mean you're gratifying your sinful nature and, and you're just kind of going into places that you shouldn't that dis- displease God? And they're like, no, no, I'm addicted. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a powerful look. Uh, let's use the language that the Bible uses. We don't even have the word addiction as far as when it comes to sexual morality. It has to do with indulging your sinful flesh. So I'm just kind of one of those guys that's just like, hey, turn the lights on. You know, adultery is adultery, mm-hmm. and my heart goes out to these guys because I've been there. But unless you are, because we're so men can be so passive, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. They can just go, ah, you know what? God's grace. Thank God for God's grace. You know, I messed up today, but God's grace. And I'm all about God's grace. I love God's grace. I wouldn't be here, uh, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I get all that. But Paul says, let's not make a practice of this. Should I increase my sins so that grace increases? He says, absolutely not. Absolutely right. not. So that's what I'm just keep on. I, I have a men's group on my uh, Facebook called Men of Purity. You can join it, and I kind of talk to the men on a weekly basis. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I have struggled with um, with pornography and some of these other things in my life and all of the fallout that comes from that. And as I've been working through things and studying, I read an article somewhere, and I don't remember what the source was, but it says that the neurological and physiological effects of, of porn addiction mirror the men- mental chemical of a spiritual experience. And so, you know, we talk about there's 57% of pastors in a recent Barnes uh, research study, as mm-hmm. high as 64 in youth pastors, admit mm-hmm. to having a struggle with this. And I think... We, we hear this and we go, oh, it's a chemical thing, it's a chemical thing. Well, I don't think it's a, a mistake that the devil is mirroring what mm. we find so holy in a chemical dependency way with right. something that is so anti-Christ. Mm. And uh, it, it's, it's huge because we're in spiritual warfare. I mean, all around us, we're in spiritual warfare. And, and the devil doesn't really care about us. All he cares about is winning one over on God. Right, and so I'm assuming. I mean, it's it's fairly obvious by your story. You became a Christian, but you still battled with this stuff. Yeah. Um. And and yes, it damaged you, but it does more than damage you. It affected Heidi. It Absolutely. affected family. How talk a little bit about how your secret that you weren't telling anybody mm. were affecting those that were around you. Well, my wife and I grew apart in in 2001. We were on the brink of divorce. Um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. My kids didn't miss me because hmm. I was on the road so much. So like, oh, daddy's on the bus again. Hmm. So there's a lack of spiritual leadership going on in the family. And let me get back to this word contrition. I, mm-hmm. I did find it. It's the 1828 definition, literally worn or bruised, hence broken hearted for hmm. sin, deeply affected with grief and sorrow for having offended God, hmm. humble, penitent as a contrite sinner. We don't really speak like this anymore. Uh, repentance was a huge part of our healing process. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what else was a, a huge part. My wife being an accountability partner, which most men would go, bad idea. Hmm. Bad idea. You know, your wife, to, and I'm not talking about getting in, an all, in all the specifics of how deep and dark the sin was, mm-hmm. but to have her 
to know that when I when I went on a trip, if I let's say I fell, let's say I indulged in my brain and had a fantasy, I had to we had a deal where I would come home and I would say to her what I, I just said, okay, this is what I did. Hmm. This is what I did. And she would sit there and stare at me and the tears would come and she would start crying. And it, it really, that was part of my healing process of this. I, I don't want to hurt her mm-hmm. because I love her as Christ of the church. I, I want her to feel safe around me. I want, and safe is not about just physical. I want her to feel a safety of spiritual, a spiritual safety around me. Yeah. Um, and also, by the way, as men, we're supposed to live. This is First Peter three seven. It says, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel." Wow, does that verse like make pe- ladies really mad these days? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers, man, this is it, may not be hindered. That mm. means if I don't live with my wife in an understanding way, my prayers are going to be hindered. God's not even going to listen to me. Wow. If I'm not, if I'm not living my life in such a way that brings glory to him. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge, huge responsibility. And I can tell you that it took about two to three years for her to begin to even trust me again. Yeah, And, uh, and that is when I kind of started making the transition of, I've got to get out of this group. This group's killing my marriage, killing my family. I love them. I loved all those guys, but the reason I left, the one of the main reasons was so I could be home more. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of people didn't understand that, especially the president of the record label we were on at that time. And I'd sung, you know, sung most of the songs on the Rescue uh, CD, and they're like, "Man, hey, man, you're all over this project, and now you're leaving us." And I totally understood it, but I said, "Man, this is so much more important. This is so much bigger than than what we're discussing about record sales." So, um, anyway, that was a big part of what happened to us and how God brought us through with accountability to each other, with men, the word of God. Um, and by the way, the word of God is amazing. And I know you know this. Uh, in 2 Timothy, it says, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, uh, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. So I have all that I need in the word to be able to raise up my kids in Christ, to love my wife as Christ loved the church, and to be a godly man. One of the things that you briefly brushed on, and I don't necessarily feel like you need to tell Heidi's story, but the thing that I've heard over and over again, and I've experienced myself, is even though this secret is dark and deep within me, it does affect people around us. And and Heidi went through a period of really dark depression that was mm-hmm. part of your addiction or your choice to sin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, this is one of those stories that I wish just had that, the happy ending back then, but, uh, we call it our dark ages for a reason. Um, Heidi was bitter and angry that I was on the road so much. Mm. She wanted to be the Von Trapp family singers, which I'm sure you've heard of them. Yep. Yep. And, and basically I chose, no, I said, no, I want to do my own thing or no, I want to be with new song. And I really, she was afraid to even say, I don't think that's a good idea. Hmm. That's where our relationship was. I was so self-driven that if she had said no, it would have probably brought a lot of even more darkness. That's kind of what happened after our fourth child. She was just at the end. I mean, think about it. 250 days out of a year. Then I come home and I go into studio. I'm writing with Eddie. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm recording. I'm doing, and we're singing in front of, thousands of people and oh wow great michael i'm glad your life is going so well while we're drowning yeah. back home so i would say a part of that was her needing to work through some things part of a lot of it was about me not being the godly example that i needed to be in my marriage we talk a lot about this the the deep dark side of it and i and i know a lot of guys that i know feel trapped and feel like they can't get out but you have gone through a transformation does that mean that you're 100% healed <laughs> it means that my guard is up 24/7 mm-hmm. that little boxes on computers that are representing sin and temptation i've 
by the grace of God, have learned to, through reading book, one of the greatest chapters in uh, Every Man's Battle is a is a uh, chapter about bouncing the eyes. Hmm. It's just a practical way for us to, okay, you see something, somebody, some lady's walking across, she's barely wearing anything, and so immediately you just turn your head hmm. and you turn away. That was just a practical thing. And then I've read books like um, by Heath Lambert, Finally Free, which, you know, that's a great book. There's just so many good resources out Mm -hmm. there. And then there are some that aren't so good. (laughs) And I would just, you know, probably warn people, you start getting into binding devils and, and, and things behind things. And I'm just saying, practically speaking, we have the ability by way of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to say no to sin. And it doesn't mean there's a devil behind a rock or some kind. We just know darkness. Remember remember what we were Mm -hmm. before? The Bible says uh, there's a spirit that is still now at work in the sons of disobedience. And and we used to be there, but no longer. No longer do we live there. We're no longer children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Yeah. That's when he goes into, but God being rich in mercy. And, and I'll tell you that, that is just a, that's a life source is the word. It's just a life source. Yeah. It's not the fix all, but it's a place we go to, to set our mind on things above and not things below. And just like teaching yourself to play the piano, learning how to be yeah. a, uh, an accountant or whatever, these are muscles that we have to practice and we have to stretch. So you're talking about the, right. the eye bounce. Uh, these are things that we have to work at and, and, yeah. and physically work at, at solutions. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what life with your family is like now, as opposed to before you became a partner with your wife in your struggle. And, uh, and what does that look like now? Well, I'm granddad, so I've got two grandkids. Um, two of my kids live that are married live in Lynchburg. I have another son who just signed a record deal with um, Toby Max label. Oh, uh, wants to be a Christian artist. Mm-hmm. His name is Joseph, and I'm very proud of him. And uh, I also have another son who's quite musical as well. His name's Timmy. He goes to Cedarville University, and uh, he is uh, in video production as well. That's what he's kind of majoring in. Mm-hmm. And then um, my wife and I, we live on a, f- a small farm here in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, we've got goats, feigning goats. We have <laughs> a couple of big dogs and some cats. And uh, for the most part, our life is very simple. Uh, we, we just enjoy. I still travel. I still lead worship at um, different churches. I lead worship at the Cove. Billy Graham Training Center. Mm-hmm. I also work with AIG, Answers in Genesis, uh, oh, Ken Ham. Mm-hmm. And then I also work with Jennifer Rothschild, who's a, a, a Bible teacher uh, for Lifeway. Okay. And then the final people that I work with is AACC, which is American Association of Christian Counselors. And I do all their events, men's events, counselor events, and women's events. So between me doing just regular churches... And I'm not talking about big churches. I'm talking about those churches that, you know, they're so happy that you've come in. Yeah. Like, wow, I can't believe you come in. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe you'd have me. You know, it's <laughs> like we're both wowing. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that I still get to record. You know, my last project, Crown Him, I recorded duets with all my kids mm. and uh, my wife as well. And and then I, you know, I just go out and I, I lead music and I, um, kind of like what I would call an itinerant music minister. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I still love doing it. And I'm 56, about to turn 57. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for his grace and his mercy and that he's allowed me to to do this for a living. Well, one of the things you also talked about as we prepared for our conversation together, you wanted to talk about the importance of the Word of God. And you've kind of alluded to that through this. I would be interested how in your way, when you're talking to somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, doesn't have the understanding of what the Bible is, how would you explain to them what this valuable book of old ancient literature, how mm. it can be life impacting and changing to them? How would, you, how would you address that with someone? Well, first I would say, if somebody doesn't want help, hard to give them all the answers, 
you know, saying, hey, well, I was where you were, and, and then, you know, introduced Jesus Christ to them. Mm-hmm. So it, it does always help to have somebody who is kind of searching. So I would always start with a repentance, that word repentance. You know, without Christ, you have no hope. I had no hope. You have no hope. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And so I would just kind of give them the good news and the bad news, probably the bad news first and then the good news, that Christ lived the life that we couldn't. He was a propitiation for our sins. I would use biblical terms because why don't we use more biblical terms? Because we don't want to offend somebody. Right. And, you know, I, I heard uh, Johnny Hunt, he's a pastor down in Atlanta. He basically said one day, he says, I was playing golf with somebody. Are you going to, are you just not going to say that a birdie's a birdie or this or that? You don't use the language because you don't want to offend somebody. He just made that connection. Mm-hmm. Let's not be afraid to let God, by way of his Holy Spirit, do his work yeah. when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. And so I would just immediately give him the bad news, the good news. And then I would say, look, the incredible thing is, is that God has left us a book from beginning to end that points to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this book has everything in it that you would ever need to be able to live the life that God's called you to. And -hmm. then I would say, you know, hopefully I would be one of those guys who's like, hey, let's let's start somewhere. You want to do it together? You want to read John together? That's a great book to read at, at first. And and I wouldn't say, hey, just start at Genesis and go all the way across. I do recommend <laughs> right. do something in the Old Testament, always do something in the Psalms, and then do something in the New Testament. And then you know what? In a year, you will have read all the way through the Bible. If you do it every day. Yeah. By the way, it only takes 60 hours, if you really think about it. Hmm. And I've done a little research on that. To read the whole Bible. To read the whole Bible, 60 hours. So I've, you can read twice through the New Testament, and then you can read pretty much all the way through the Old Testament if you do it daily. Yeah. And uh, and I've been doing that since 2004. And I tell you what, I feel, by the grace of God, so much more equipped to be able to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Am I a sinner? Absolutely. Do I need his grace? More than ever. But I can tell you that there's been victory in my life mm-hmm. and that, yes, I, I can look away. Man, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yeah. By, by God's grace, I can look away and not fall into temptation. Or I can turn, or I can call somebody, mm-hmm. or I, action. It's, it's about being proactive. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that, that's kind of how I would probably breach the topic, if you will. Well, you said something that just really struck a chord with me, and that is the importance of the book, you want to read it together. And mm-hmm. there is so much strength and ability to flee things when you have a relationship with somebody that you can say, this is me, this is real, and know that you're not being judged for it and that it's, hey, we're in this together. That's good. Two are better than one. The other thing that I wanted to kind of bring out in our pastor, this is probably six months ago, but said something that really struck a chord with me. You know, it's not my job to win people for Christ. My job is to show people Christ. He's the one who will win people for Christ. And like you were saying, why not use the words that Christ used in the Bible? Why not use Mm -hmm. that? Because we're going to mess it up. (laughs) We're going to butcher it. So, yeah. Well, you briefly mentioned your your latest album. Crown Him. Yep. Talk a little bit. You've done a number of albums recently based on hymns primarily. Talk about the importance of this transition to these good old hymns. Well, I tell you, there's so much rich theology in them, and uh, sometimes I'll take and rewrite the music, or sometimes I'll just take the original because it's so good. Um, but I, it's, I've been on this journey probably for 11 years. Mm-hmm. I heard a Fernando Ortega record back in 2009, which inspired my first one that I ever did, which was Be Still My Soul. And uh, yeah, I've written some originals as well, but probably crown him is a really great representation of my, some of my old and new things. Mm. And I, uh, I named it Crown Him in 19, uh, 2019. I released it in 2020, April. Yep, right after the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah. And then somebody told me, hey, said, Michael, did you know that the word crown in Latin is corona? And I said, no, I did not know mm. that. But God's perfect timing. Yeah. 
And uh, like I said, it has all my kids on it. I am so proud of the fact that um, they are all musical and, and use their gifts for the Lord. Yeah. Um, I think it's some of my, my uh, better writing. Um, as a matter of fact, I even did a 70s medley of, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, Rise Again meets Praise the Lord by the Imperials mm-hmm. meets To God Be the Glory by uh, Andre Crouch. And so I even went back to the 70s when, yeah. when Christian music kind of first started. And But I, uh, I just love kind of finding a song like a Were You There? Mm-hmm. And just kind of putting my own little, my own little style on it, yeah. and uh, so it's been by the grace of God, He's really been helping me to to continue doing it. Well, we'd love to share one of those songs. Do you have one that uh, you're currently pushing as a single? You know what? I I probably I've just released a radio version of the beauty of it all, a duet I did with my daughter. She graduated from Liberty as a opera singer, and hmm. uh, so it's kind of at the end. It kind of almost feels like. Sandy Patty with Larnell Harris doing a big song, you know? The tide was rolling in I saw another day begin As the shadows of the moon gave way To morning once again Emerging from beneath its dark disguise And as the clouds were sailing Watch the sea swell and fly It was as if your mighty hand Were painting art across the sky A miracle before my very eyes Oh, I marvel at the wonders Only you can realize But oh
I love the song. I wrote it the year she was born in 1992 with a guy named Reggie Ham. Oh yeah. And uh, so you know, how many years later? 29 years later, we we sang it as a duet. Yeah, I've had several yeah. conversations with folks and talking about the whole pandemic and the songs that they put out. And it's amazing to me the number of people who are going back to the hymns during yeah. this during this pandemic yeah. time. And uh, there's some, yeah. you know. There's a reason that they're the classics. <laughs> yeah, God works in mysterious ways, I'll tell you that for sure. Well, Michael, every Saturday we send out a prayer letter to folks who have agreed to pray for folks. And uh, how can we be praying specifically for you, your ministry, for your family in the weeks and months to come? Yeah, I, I would just say to to give us more opportunities. Heidi and I do a marriage event together uh, that helps. It's kind of a marriage enrichment mm. and uh you know, giving us more opportunities. We've been doing it since 2008. We do about six or seven a year, and we we really love that. So just a prayer for that. And then just that God would give us opportunities to be able to share the truth of the gospel through music um, and these opportunities he keeps on giving me to do that. Uh, that and then my next project, whenever that's going to be over the next year and a half or so, just, you know, and leading and directing. We make our plans, but God directs our steps, right? Thank you for sharing your story with us, Michael. I know that most of you tune in each week to hear about the Christian music you love, but one of my favorite things about these exchanges is the reminder that even these musicians, these people that we respect and look up to for their music and their abilities, well, they are just normal human beings like you and I are. They have struggles and trials, but they also have victories. I know we had to squeeze Michael's story into a short podcast. I hope the main point of this conversation is crystal clear. Yes, sexual sin will destroy you and probably destroy the people around you too. I can speak personally and say that it was instrumental in destroying my marriage and ministry, but it doesn't have to. You can have victory over temptation and lustful thoughts. God will always provide a way of escape from these temptations, as Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 10.13. But you are going to have to work at it. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For the will of God for your sanctification is that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Now flee, that's an action word. That means choosing to do something. And if you are running, you're choosing a direction and you get moving. And in this case, you're moving away from something that is harmful to you. And yes, that can be tough especially in this day and age when there are so many things flaunted in front of us to entice us. But if you have a support system, someone who will walk with you and encourage you to run from sin, you will be much more successful. For Michael, part of that was the accountability to his wife, Heidi. Now that might not be for everyone, but there are a lot of resources available. You obviously like listening to podcasts, so why not check out the Samson Society podcast with Nate Larkin? This is a great group of guys who are committed to helping you learn how to live a life of purity. There's also a great group called Pure Desire Ministries that offers groups around the world to help you with your path to purity. And maybe Michael's group, Pure in Heart for Men Only, maybe that's a resource you can tap into. Or maybe your struggle is while you're online. There are great accountability tools like Covenant Eyes and Ever Accountable that help you communicate with a healthy mentor when you are struggling with being places that you shouldn't be. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it is important to bring these often hidden secret sins out into the open. Because in the light of Christ, well, that's where healing begins and where you can find help in living a life of purity. The Bible says in Luke 8 that, all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Why not use that light as a resource 
rather than an embarrassment after the fact. And if you are like me, you may have had some significant moral failures. Please know that there is forgiveness and healing in our loving Father. God wants you to experience wholeness. He wants you to experience freedom from addiction. He wants to provide you with a way out when temptation comes. I know he's done it for me, and I know he can do it for you too. Sometimes the best way to that wholeness is while walking with a group of guys who have been there too. Well, I've probably yammered on long enough, but what I want you to hear is that God loves you and has a way for you to avoid the pitfalls and destruction caused by impurity. He wants you to succeed, but it takes an action on your part. You have to start the process. You have to reach out to a trusted male friend or find a support group. Cry out to Jesus. Whatever your step looks like, take it, do it, and you too can experience the freedom of walking purely and wholly with our loving Heavenly Father. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive So until then, remember this God loves you In fact, He's crazy about you <laughs> <laughs>